Well, welcome, 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 everybody. I hope you're having a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome to our Facebook slash YouTube live and in person. This is your opportunity to ask questions and tell us what's happened in your world over the last week. And hopefully your real estate is exploding uh, like it is out there in the world. We're just seeing amazing things going on these days. And we've gotten properties under contract over the last week. We've sold properties over the last week. It's just a fantastic time to be in this business. Hope it's fantastic for you as well. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great, Lou. And our topic today is uh, taxes. And we've talked a little bit in the past about uh, capital gains taxes and, and the impact that can have. But there's another tax that's been sort of slipped in. And that happens uh, to be a tax that uh, is going to affect your descendants for many, many generations if you don't do the right thing. And that's the inheritance tax. Mm. So. With your yeah. permission, Lou, I'd like to bring up uh, the first of two uh, articles that I found on it and we can just uh, discuss it a little bit more. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to say about inheritance tax is that, hey, back in the day, and I remember when I was getting into real estate and starting to pay attention to things like inheritance tax. And, you know, back in the mid 90s, well, inheritance tax was a real thing because you only had a $600,000 exemption. Anything above that was taxed at like 55%. And then over the years, they have constantly and consistently monkeyed with the inheritance tax. Uh, and they continue to move it up, move it up, move it up till you got to a $10 million exemption. Then it went to uh, adjusted for inflation. So it got to like, right now it's 11,800,000, I think. So inheritance tax was very important because people would lose their entire farms and generations of work and wealth and just all the things that they had put into it, they would lose simply because of inheritance tax, because inheritance tax has to be paid within nine months of the death of the person that, created that wealth or inherited that wealth over time. So it's definitely something that we all should be aware of and pay attention to because something happens in your life where you're building up and Hey, now, if you look at it, at people in California, people in New York and other parts of the country, Hey, their inheritance or their wealth just could be in one house, but it could be significant. And as a result, you know, we have to pay attention to these things. And right now they've got some proposals and you were going to share some articles with us. What do you say, uh, Scott? Yeah. So here's one from the tax foundation and it's talking about a 61% tax on wealth. So as part of president Biden's American families plan, the white house yesterday proposed two major tax increases on accumulated wealth, which could add up to about 61%. They would tax unrealized capital gains at death for unrealized capital gains worth over $1 million. So that kind of sounds to me like if you've got a $2 million house, you pass away and you're going to leave it to your family, maybe a daughter and a son, uh, they're going to be paying capital gains on at least a million dollars of that, uh, of that house. So yeah. right now, okay. 
And you know, the sad thing about that is that maybe that was intended to be a family home. Maybe that home was intended to be passed on from generation to generation. Maybe it was to take care of a, someone who's still living, who's maybe infirmed. And now because of that tax on that $2 million in gain, so to speak, well, now that's got to be paid within nine months. And if it's 61% of a million dollars, well, a lot of people don't have 600 grand sitting around uh, in a checking account waiting to uh, pay a tax on. So that's a, an intense situation and they would be faced with the delay, the expense, the challenge of probate as well. If they didn't learn about a magic thing called trusts, what else does your article say? Now it goes on to say that second Biden also wants to tax the capital gains of millionaires at ordinary income tax rates, which would be leveled in a, uh, basically a top marginal rate of 39.6%. And when we were talking about this earlier, Lou, I commented that, you know, in the grocery stores, they learned a long time that you don't price something a dollar and two dollars. You price it 99 cents or a dollar 99 because it sounds cheaper. So here we have the government doing the same thing. Thirty nine point six percent. It's not 40 percent, folks. It's only thirty nine point six percent. Yes, it's so true. And of course, right now we've got capital gains at 20 percent and they're going to zoom that up, essentially double what it is right now. That's a huge impact. When I think about that, first of all, for real estate investors, right? Because some of us have gotten the benefit of appreciation. We've gotten the benefit of improved markets. The law of supply and demand has driven up the value of properties in certain areas. We go to sell a property. Oh my gosh, the capital gain could be devastating. In fact, it will, cause behavior. I promise you it will cause behavior. That means that people that would have sold won't sell. That's going to further restrict the number of properties on the market. Uh, if somebody had a rental property and they, and it went vacant and they decided to sell that, well, that would be a house for somebody that wants to live there instead of a rental property. But what those landlords are going to do. They're going to hang on to that property because they don't want to pay that 40% capital gains. And for goodness sakes, who does, right? That make, you work your life, you build some wealth. And the last thing you want to do is to have that huge gain or excuse me, that huge tax because that money was supposed to be used for your retirement. That money was supposed to be used to take care of you, maybe in a nursing home. We don't know what our next days, uh, uh, present to us. We don't know what our future looks like. And so as a result of them smacking us with that huge tax, that takes a huge amount that could be used for later years away from us. So it's like a double whammy. They're talking about increasing the capital gains tax and they're talking about increasing the uh, inheritance tax. And by the way, this is just federal. Now you've got to contend with state, depending on the state that you live in, there can be inheritance tax. There can be a wealth tax. There can be a state tax. Believe it or not, there's some states that have both an inheritance tax and an estate tax on top of these federal proposals that can wipe out an estate that can wipe out literally uh, decades and even generations of hard effort and work. And by the way, things that have already been taxed, 
the things that they've already paid taxes on, they're now having to pay taxes on again. So it sounds like a very challenging um, waters that we're going to be navigating here. Yeah, I agree, Lou. And they're taxing after tax dollars, uh, which is just amazing. So in addition to unrealized capital gains at death on ordinary tax rates, large estates would also be subject to the current estate tax of 40% above an exemption of $11.7 million per person. So it's uh, like a triple, triple whammy. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what the tax foundation says. Uh, of course, most economic, economics, Economists agree that both the estate tax and the capital gains tax already amount to a second or third layer of tax on the same income. So you make your money, you get taxed, there's your income tax, you've got your after-tax money, you get taxed on it, then you die and you get taxed on it. And it's just uh, yeah, not, not fair. It's not fair at all. And one of the biggest issues, you know, it's, it's sort of like a Robin Hood concept. Uh, rob from the rich and give to the poor is the concept. And politically, they're saying, oh, aren't we do-gooders here? We're taking from the people that worked so hard in their life and gave up holidays and weekends and work nights. And some, some entrepreneurs work nights, weekends, and holidays. In fact, that's a regular thing for retailers, for restaurateurs, for so many people that have businesses, they work double, triple the time that a traditional worker works. And of course, all of that effort is being robbed. <laughs> all of those, that energy, all of that, uh, that effort is being taken from that family and given uh, in certain ways to other folks. Um, and it's just devastating to watch something like this happen. Hopefully everyone will take action and cause their uh, Congress folks to pay attention to this and say, now, hold on, not this time and not in our area. Because remember, in your House of Representatives, each of us have a representative. We don't have representatives. Each of us has a representative there. What I mean is each 750,000 people in this country have a representative. And so you need to find out who your representative is in the house and you need to let them know um, and the, how you feel about this. And the same is true in the Senate, except that we have two senators and the senators are over all the people in the state. So you let your senators know, you let your congressperson know, and you let your state legislators know as well, because they control the state taking money from the estate as well. And that's just an, an action step that you can take, but there's definitely more. Yeah. And one of the things that we had talked about before, Lou, was the fact that in a lot of uh, the coastal states, really, when you think about it, like Washington and California, New York, uh, that's where there's been huge increases in uh, pricing for houses. So, you know, in the 60s, grandma bought the house for $50,000 or whatever. Today, it's worth $3 million. And all of a sudden, you're not, you know, as as grandma wanting to look after, you know, their her children and her children's children, she's going to see possibly 60% of that or 50% of that just 
go for no reason. And uh, it's, it's going to cause hardships for a lot of people. Oh, there's no question about it. And like I said, you know, that money could have been used and even borrowed. That wealth can be borrowed against if a family member has a situation, a medical issue, uh, needs to go to an extended care facility. Well, you know, now that wealth is not available because there's going to be so much tax that's going to be charged against it. So it's definitely something for everyone to be cautious of, considerate of. And sometimes we look at things and we say, well, that doesn't affect me. So I'm not going to pay any attention to it. And you don't realize it's exactly like you said, Scott, that these, these properties are not fancy properties. We're talking about right. two, maybe three bedroom, little small ranch houses that suddenly have a lot of value over the years. And these parentheses states, I call them the parentheses states, but you know, kind of the outskirts of America, um, meaning that the perimeter of America, there's a lot of wealth concentrated in those areas because they're on the shore, they're at by the seaside, and there's a lot of desire for being in that area. Well, in the central states, you're, you're looking at the farms and you're looking at other things that have built wealth. Businesses, some businesses have been in the family for generations. And this is exactly why they changed the inheritance tax before, because people's entire generations of wealth, farms and what have you, were being wiped out and sold for pennies on the dollar just to pay inheritance tax. Looks like they're setting that up again. And you heard me correctly that they absolutely do these things to cause uh, situations to occur. And you always have to look deeper into things when you see something and you, you, you hear what they're advertising as the reason that they're doing things, just know there's more to the story and it's your job to find out. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I think too is, is that when they put a limit, you know that like, for example, 11.7 million, there's going to be a tough year and they're going to say, well, you know, how can we make a little bit more? Well, let's drop it down to eight and then let's drop it down to five and then let's drop it down to one. And then, well, let's not bother with it at all. And, uh, you know, it's very rare that they add and add and add to these things, you know, any way that helps the taxpayer. It's usually how can we get more money? Well, it really depends on which political party is in control because we have seen it change over the years. Like I said, 1995, it was 600,000 and then it went to a million and then it went up, 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 up year after year after year after that. Now it's 11.8 million, 11.7, 11.8. And now they want to take it all the way back down to a million. So just know that that is definitely a manipulation on purpose and know that it can devastate a lot of families. So I want to take a look at uh, Bloomberg. They had an interesting article here and they said the tax uh, rules are going to rip billions from big fortunes at death. And they did a kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, if he passes away, his heirs are going to face a tax bill of $36 billion. <laughs> Yeah, right. So he has an ex-wife, a girlfriend, four kids, and billions of reasons to watch whether Joe's tax overhaul wins congressional approval. And so they kind of go through it with him. And of course, you know, it's it's hard to feel sorry for someone that's got, you know, 
a, you know, half a trillion dollars or whatever it is. It's, uh, it's amazing. But it really illustrates the fact that there's a lot of people that could be going through this same sort of problem. So he, he, so when we were talking about the houses, you know, buying a house on, in, uh, on the coast in the sixties for 50,000 or whatever, well, he bought in at Amazon for 10 grand in 1994 and it's worth 180 billion now. So that's a significant capital gain. <laughs> like all of it, <laughs> like all of it is a capital gain, meaning all of it's taxable, right? Yeah. And it's interesting how one of the things I always like to do is watch how they communicate. And there's a really interesting word that they throw in here. Biden's plan would close that loophole. So it's kind of like a loophole has a connotation of someone sneakily getting away with something. Right. True. And uh, so they're, they're calling it a loophole, which then it means, of course, that Biden's plan is great. We should be taxing capital gains on death. Then it goes on to talk about Bill and Melinda Gates. They announced they would be divorcing and uh, their fortune is valued at $145 billion. And uh, they've sold or donated much of that to, uh, to their foundation, but 26 billion shares remain. And, uh, so, and so what is Congress thinking they're going to get out of this? They're thinking that stepping up the tax basis of inherited assets costs the government about $43 billion a year. So they're thinking this is how much we're going to be making. It's just, it's, it's entertaining at best. Um, you know, it, it, when I look at it, Scott, I know too much maybe. I've been around for a long time, over 40 years, buying, holding, and selling property. And I've seen a lot of things in those years. One of the things that's fascinating about it is, you know, that they talk about, you know, they're losing, losing $43 billion. And don't forget that over the last year, they've spent trillions of dollars. And for someone to get a perspective on a billion, it's like a grain of rice and a trillion is like a pile of rice, like a room full of rice. So a trillion dollars is a whole lot of money. And they have spent literally trillions over the last 12 months and they're getting ready to do more. They're talking about this infrastructure bill. That's not got much to do with infrastructure, just like the coronavirus bill didn't have much to do with coronavirus. Only 9% of it went for coronavirus and all the rest of it went for other programs. And just know that if your name is not, in that pot for those programs, you're not getting any of it. And that's just how that's going to work. And the same is true for these other, these infrastructure project. So as we, as we step back from these things, I've always been entertained by the conversation that uh, these people are actually going to pay all this money. It's foolish. It's ridiculous. These people don't pay taxes. These people don't pay taxes. It's for, it's important for people to understand the tax code is set up for certain groups of people and they've got levels of the tax code. For example, the 600s part of the tax code relates to trusts. The 900s part of the tax code relates to foundations and all of these people, all of them have foundations. 
Well, you need to look into foundations because that's another whole uh, way that they're able to transfer incredible wealth is to put it over into the foundation, get a tax credit for putting over into foundation. The foundation now pays for everything. The foundation, if you look at the Clinton foundation, they had suddenly they were in the white house and said they were broke when they came into the white house and they left the white house. Now they have a $2 billion um, foundation. Isn't that interesting? And all of a sudden this money just shows up and people make donations to the foundation. You look at what they spend the foundation money on and most of it, they only spent, I think less than 10% on actual projects and everything else was spent on salaries, on travel, on food, on logic. I mean, it was amazing to look at those numbers and, and you just smile and wave because you know that, that the elites, the elites don't pay taxes. The elites have other structures in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, we delved into that and we started looking at what are the vehicles that the elites use. And, and one of the great things about this country is that whatever someone else uses, someone else can use. So it's not like it's limited. It's just unknown. And I say that knowledge is power and money. Knowledge is power and money. And certainly there's knowledge available for everyone, but most people aren't aware or don't know how to access that knowledge. And when you get the opportunity to learn what the true elites do, well, they just simply, take advantage of the tax code. In other words, it's all there in the tax code. Everyone can use it, but your tax professional doesn't know anything about these things. Your financial planner doesn't know these things because they're just not at those levels, but the ones that are at the other levels, they know about those things and they steer their folks. They gear their folks towards those tax write-offs and those tax benefits. And the cool thing is don't forget where I came from. I came from a, an immigrant mother, single mother, no dad, a Samsonite card table, metal chairs until I was 17 years old. So we came from no money, no connections, no background, nothing. And I was able to discover some things one of them being, thank you, God, real estate, you know, that we found out that there's some amazing things that we can do in real estate and have done. And we help people to end up with home ownership, regardless of credit or financial background. So that's a blessing and a give back that we do in our business. And I teach other people how to do the same thing. And we've discovered that these, these marvelous gifts, these marvelous benefits exist in the tax code. And when I found out about them, well, I feel like it's my duty to share it with other people so that they can find out about them too. And then they can make their own decision about whether they take advantage of those benefits or they don't take advantage of those benefits. But knowledge is power and money, I say. Right on, Lou. And I want to just finish off this uh, Bloomberg article with the last paragraph. The story of taxing rich people throughout history is that they will always find ways to sidestep taxes. 
John Rico, author of the Wharton study. Uh, this will certainly narrow the avoidance opportunities, but not as much as they might think. And so with that, uh, I want us to move into kind of our next part, which is Lou, how can we protect our assets? Is there something we can do that when, well, let's just say when this, because if it doesn't happen this year, it might happen next year or the following year. It's going to have, I mean, they're going to push for it and they're going to see how far they can go. Uh, but is there anything we can do to protect our wealth? Well, I would say absolutely positively, there's an opportunity for you to learn what to do and how to do it. You know, I've been on a journey since 1982 because before that I was able to buy my first home by taking over the existing financing on the property. It was so easy for $45, you could step in and take over someone else's financing. And then Congress, in its infinite wisdom, which is exactly what we've been talking about, passed a law called the Garn St. Germain Federal Depository Institutions Act. And in that act, they gave the banks the right, the right to put the due upon sale clause in the mortgage. Now it does not say that they will call the loan due or shall call the loan due. It says they may call the loan due, which means they may not. Well, as I look deeper into the law itself, I actually found out that there was an exception. And that is when someone places their property into trust for estate planning purposes, the lender is prohibited from calling the loan due. Well, that was a powerful lesson to learn. And then as I have journeyed, so in other words, it was Congress that caused me to learn this. It was a law that caused me to learn about trusts and it was right there. And the benefits of trusts are already codified in our laws and in our tax code. So sure enough, one of the things about the trust that I typically teach is land trusts and personal property trusts, but they don't really provide tax benefits. So I delved and continued to learn and journey through the myriad of trusts that are out there. There's about 30 different kinds of trusts and these trusts do different things. Just like we've been talking about, some have certain tax benefits built into them and there's others that have tremendous tax benefits built into them. So I discovered one, I call it the elite trust. And this is what we, we share with people. Uh, and sure enough, when someone has a certain size estate, when they're paying a certain amount of taxes per year, they definitely need to look deeper into the tax code, deeper into protections, privacy, probate avoidance, and profits that are available using trusts. And so I encourage people, if you have some assets and those assets have some value, you definitely want to go deeper into learning about trusts because one of the great things is we've been talking about these estate taxes. Imagine that you could sell your assets that you have right now at its basis to your trust, to a trust rather. And the trust now gives you back a note for what it purchases. And now the trust owns those assets and those assets pass from generation to generation to generation 
without tax. Why? Because they're in a deferred tax environment already. Now you think about the Rockefellers and the Kennedys and now the Gates and the Trumps and everybody, you think about who, what vehicles they are using. And I promise you they're using trusts and we've looked into it. You know, the Kennedys, oh my gosh, they have 4,000 trusts. So there's many different trusts for many different reasons. And you think about the Kennedy compound. Well, none of those kids own those houses in the Kennedy compound. No, the trust owns those houses and allows the kids and their spouses to live there. And oh, by the way, the trust pays for those assets and pays to have them painted and cleaned and taken care of and repaired. The trust pays for everything. The kids live there for free. Now, what also is true is they don't pay for their education out of their pocket. The trust pays for all of that. So I discovered, you know, what the wealthy do. And I say, all of us have the opportunity to do this. So I said, okay, we're going to put together an all day, an all day training on exactly what this is and exactly how this works. And we did that a few months ago and we recorded it. So now that recording is available for people to be able to step in and learn what to do and how to do it and have ironclad asset protection where nobody can get inside the trust to touch any of the assets, exactly like the Kennedys have, exactly like the, the wealthy in this country have. And so as a result of that, now the assets are truly protected, not just hidden from view, but truly protected. Nobody can get inside that trust and take those assets. Now, another benefit of those are tax benefits. You can't get that with the land trust and personal property trust, meaning tax benefits, but you can get that with these type of trusts that I'm telling you about. So definitely worth your while. If you're paying more than $16,000 a year in taxes, you want to check into this. If you care about your wealth sustaining from generation to generation and things like we've been just talking about with the inheritance tax and capital gains tax. Imagine that there's a vehicle that you don't have to worry about capital gains. You can sell a property or excuse me, the trust can sell the property tomorrow. All the money comes into the trust, no capital gains tax, and there's no wealth taxes, no generational taxes. None of those things occur. Why? Because the trust lives on. When somebody dies, that's a beneficiary of the trust, the trust lives on. So there's no taxable event that occurred. So it's only what that person owned on that day that actually would be taxable when it comes to inheritance. Well, what if you don't own anything? What if the trust owns everything and the trust doesn't die? So people can die, but the trust doesn't die. Very valuable information, important information that everybody should know. So we put together, we take, we took that training, we put it into an all day training and we laid it out for you step by step by step, maximumassetshield.com forward slash elite trust, forward slash elite trust. And whether it's lowercase or, or title case like that, whatever it is, look, go there and, um, and see what you can do to protect your family's inheritance from uncle Joe's cash grab. And there's a whole write up about the elite trust there. And you can click to claim your full day training there as well. So 
I, I encourage you. It's an, it's a good investment for you to learn about that. It's, it's, it's even more of a valuable investment when you take advantage of that and actually put one of these trusts into place. That's right. And so Lou, we've had a few people ask some questions about the trust. So I think Ooh. this would be a good time for us to, uh, to bring sure. them on and, and take them one at a time. Uh, so the first one is going to be, we're going to go in backward order because <coughs> these are more about the trust. Uh, JB asks a really good question. He already has, uh, I think he has an elite trust. Do any of these taxes apply to my estate if I have an elite trust? No. Uh, what happens is that when you sell whatever assets you have to the trust, JB, you're selling them at your basis in those assets. So there's no taxable event for those to be purchased by the trust and the trust gives back a note to you. So if you ever needed to, to have some money outside of the trust, then you could simply ask the trust to pay you for that note uh, that the trust owes you. So that's one way that you can get money out of the trust is simply have a note outside the trust, but inside the trust, the trust can make as much money as the trust can make <laughs> basically through the sale of those assets, through the use of those assets, through the renting of those assets, that kind of thing. And the benefits remain inside the trust. So if they have taken advantage again of the tax code, and this is uh, in the tax code in the 600s part of the tax code I was telling you about earlier uh, that allows for these, uh, these assets to be able to pass and allows for the funds in that trust to be able to continue and pay its bills and what have you without there being a taxable event. And I just wanted to, to show everybody, Eternal Revenue, Title 26, Subtitle A, Chapter 1, Subchapter 3, or Subchapter J, Part 1, Subpart A, Section 643, A, 3, 4, 7, and B, State. Gains from the sale or exchange of capital assets shall be excluded to the extent that such gains are allocated to the corpus. In other words, when the trustee of the fund of the trust says these, uh, the sale of this and the, any capital gains are excluded uh, from income, uh, taxable income, because they're allocated to the corpus or the body of the trust. Items of gross income constituting extraordinary dividends or taxable stock dividends, which the fiduciary acting in good faith, which of course your trustee always will, determines to be allocable to corpus or to the trust, the body of the trust is what corpus means, under the terms of the governing instrument and applicable local law shall not be considered income. So in other words, when you have a capital gains on your house and your house is in an elite trust, then the trustee will say that capital gains is not considered income for the purposes of the income tax. Now you can imagine from this whole long, where this piece of information is, <laughs> not too many people are going to be able to find it. Right. So you're getting pretty high level information in our little live stream today. Yep. It's a beautiful thing and it's known to the wealthy and it's known to their advisors. So their tax advisors, their financial planners, their CPAs, this is common knowledge to them. And 
I, I think about one estate that we've been uh, consultants on is a $92 million estate and they have layers and layers and layers of advisors. And when they saw this, they just went, Oh yeah, baby, count me in. This is good stuff. And it's, it's interesting that they knew parts of this, but they didn't know all of this. So they've definitely recognized that there's some value to this and, um, and have bought into it for, for their clients as well. Awesome. So Marianne has a question. She has two. So do you have the seller put their property in a trust, then do the closing when I have a buyer or is it all done at the same time at closing? So Marianne, if you are purchasing from a seller, uh, well, I'm saying you're not purchasing. What the, what the seller does do is the seller does place their property into their trust. What you purchase is the beneficial interest of the trust or perhaps your trust. Um, another trust like a personal property trust, for example, could purchase the beneficial interest of that land trust. Well, in a land trust, that, that differential that occurs in a land trust is that the beneficial interest is personal property. It's not real estate. So that's what you're really purchasing when you're, when you're doing a property subject to the existing loan. And then part two. So if I put my house in a land trust and I pass away, my kids will still have to pay an inheritance tax. That is correct. That is correct, Marianne. So in other words, with a land trust, it's going to pass to the heirs. It's in a trust, but it's going to pass to the heirs. So whomever it was that owned that asset. Now the good news is it's already in trust. So the fact that it's in trust is a great thing. So it depends on who the beneficiary was of that trust. If you were the beneficiary of that trust, then yes, there would be a taxable event. So there, so that's the one piece of that. However, the trust, if it's a land trust can stay in place and that can pass on to those heirs without having to move it out of the trust, but there would have to be a, a death, so to speak, um, tax return that would account for the wealth of the person that passed away. Okay. So Anthony, Okay. So do, let's talk with, take Doris's first. Can I place a property into a land trust if it's already in the elite trust? I would not Doris. Uh, if the elite trust has purchased a property, then it should remain in that trust. It should, it, it is, it is, it is in the very best place it could possibly be. If you think about a tank, right? A tank has got a lot of metal right all around on the bottom top and sides and a mortar goes off next to a tank, big explosion, right? Huge explosion. And the tank goes like that, <laughs> but it, it doesn't blow up and you can't get the mortar inside the tank. Think about your elite trust, like it's a tank and, and you can't get the bomb inside the tank. You can't get the mortar inside the tank. So the safest place for your assets to be is the elite trust. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony has a good question. Can I start my business as a trust rather than an LLC? Anthony, great question. The answer is yes. There is such a thing called a business trust. 
and a business trust can operate. And in fact, we have a number of clients that have chosen to have a business trust. Why? Because they have a business. Um, we have doctors and CPAs and multiple different professionals that have businesses up and running and they're operating those now as business trusts. And then separately with their real estate, their passive income assets, they have those in the elite trust. So you can have a business trust. And in fact, the elite trust can have up to a 90% share of the business trust as well. So that's passive income to the, to the elite trust that's coming from the business trust. So that's a good structure when you have an existing business that's up and running. Excellent. And Doris has a follow-up question. Can I place a property into a land trust if it's, Oh, we already did this one. Right? We covered that one. Uh -huh. Here's here's the follow-up question. Sorry, it slipped down on me. Can I still lease option my property from the elite trust? Well, it's not you from the elite trust. It's actually the elite trust owns it, and the elite trust now is going to hire a manager. Maybe the manager is you, and then uh, you're going to do the business that needs to be done. So that means to lease out the property and what have you on behalf of the owner, which is the elite trust. Yeah. That's a really good point that you, that you brought up Lou is we have to start thinking differently because if you say, well, that's my car, but the car is owned by the trust and then you, you could end up breaking the trust, right? It's, so you have to always be saying, this is owned by the elite trust or yeah. what, whatever trust it is. I'm driving it. I'm a driver. <laughs> I'm the driver, right? It's or, this, is, this house is owned by the elite trust. I just happen to stay in one of the bedrooms. Well, if you think about limo drivers, right? Uh, a lot of the limo drivers don't own the limos that they drive. Those limos are owned by a company, but they drive them <laughs> and they enjoy those limos. And maybe they take their mama around from time to time, <laughs> from place to place. Maybe they take mama to the grocery store, but guess what? The, the company that supplies those limos actually owns those limos. So you think of it the same way. The trust owns the assets. They own the the house, they own the car or cars, they own the vacation house, they own everything in it. And uh, you're allowed to hang out there. Yeah, good. So Anthony has a technical type question. Is volume four and five different than the elite trust course? It is Anthony, uh, volumes four, volume four is land trusts. Uh, volume five is personal property trusts. And those are, you know, for some people, that's the way to go because they're just getting started. They haven't accumulated wealth. They haven't accumulated assets and they definitely need a vehicle. They definitely need the benefits of trusts and always should use the land trust and personal property trust. But my distinction is if you're paying $16,000 or more in income tax and if you want to have wealth that can pass from generation to generation to generation, tax deferred essentially, then you want to check into the elite trust for sure, because it's a different animal. It's almost like, even though it has the word trust in it and land trust has the word trust in it, the two of them are completely different in terms of what they do and how they do it. 
Great. Uh, Marianne has a follow-up question. So from my former question about seller putting their property into a land trust first, and I find a buyer, my question is, can it all be done at the same time at closing with a real estate attorney? Sure, it absolutely can. So if you've already got a buyer lined up, which is exactly what I teach, right? The house monster is designed to find your buyer before you even buy the property. So let's say you've got your buyer lined up. They've got adequate down payment. They've got adequate credit. You've gotten them qualified for the loan. You've found the property. You're ready to purchase that property. Absolutely. It can be all done at the same time. We can't hear you. All right. <laughs> we have a couple questions from truth be truth be three told. Uh, if so, here we go. And this is from earlier, but I wanted to wait till after we'd done all the trust questions. If a seller is adamant about working with a listing agent, would, what would your recommended approach be to this situation? I would say absolutely. You can go ahead and list your property and here's a couple of things to think about. Um, there's definitely going to be a cost. Have you considered what that's going to be? And have you considered how long your property is going to be on the market? So you really do have two options. You can work with a traditional real estate agent, which typically they want you to sign a six month um, option to sell, which is also known as a listing agreement. If you think about it, an, an agent comes in, takes over the property, takes control of the property in terms of being able to market it and sell it. And they've got a six month ride on that baby for paying you no consideration at all. Now you can do that or you can work with me. Now here's the good news about us. We can buy your property today. You know, it's already dealt with. You don't have to worry about when it's going to sell, if it's going to sell, is the contract going to fall through? Is the funding going to fall through? You can sell to us today. And here's the other thing. We can work with the timing of your move. So maybe you need 60 days before your other house is ready. That's fine. We can work with you on that. And oh, by the way, another thing that a traditional agent is not interested in doing is we can take your property as is. You don't have to pick up, clean up, mow. You don't have to do anything. We'll take your property as is. So we're bringing value to the table because, hey, when you list your property the traditional way, you're going to have to show that property. It's going to have to be show ready condition because they're going to be calling you for showings. Oh, by the way, they want you to leave the house while they're showing your property, while uh, customers are pulling open your drawers in your bedroom and, you know, just kind of paint some visuals for people of what it's going to be like. And the, the kids with the jam on their fingers on the doorknobs and things like that are going to be going through the house. And, and, you know, you kind of look at what it's like to, to list and sell a house the traditional way. Here we come along and you don't have to have all that pain, suffering, and of course, if somebody's going to buy your house the traditional way, they're going to want to move in because their other house is selling or because their stuff is on the U-Haul truck and they want to move in on a certain day. That's not us. We don't have to push you out the door because we have another, um, uh, we've got another sale coming down the pike. You don't have to worry about that with us. So we're easy peasy lemon squeezy to work with us, or you can go the traditional route and pay a real estate commission as well. 
Great. And there's a follow-up question from him. Is there a place in the Street Smart paperwork that indicates what the listing agent's commission will be? Well, yes, sir. Truth be three told. <laughs> um, it is in your presentation kit. Now, in your whole enchilada, Junior, in your whole enchilada, I have a presentation and this is the presentation process. You know, who we are, what we do. I always keep this handy, who we are, what we do, how we operate, how we can help, how we're different than others, what the traditional costs of working with a real estate agent are. You see, we go through that with our client. And the reason we do that is we want to educate them. We want them to know exactly what the traditional cost of sale is. And then when they're working with us, how easy it makes sense to just work with us instead of listing their property and the mystery of when it's going to sell and how much it's going to sell for and so on. So this presentation kit comes with your whole enchilada junior. I strongly recommend that not only you print this out with your company name and your web address down here and all the good stuff that we teach you to do, but also study it, study it and do the presentation over and over and over again. Uh, and, you know, become an expert at making the presentation because it, it's absolute gold. Practice makes perfect. Uh, Jay Jackson has an interesting question for us. Would you trust a closing company to write the trust if they insist their paperwork must be used? No, absolutely not. Um, the reason is that uh, they just don't know what they don't know. I've been around for a long time and I've seen what works and what doesn't work. And it's very important that, uh, that not only do we look at things from the legal standpoint, but we also look at things from the standpoint of the benefits that the paperwork can provide. For example, negotiation. Well, you can negotiate every little fine point with the seller, or you can just put it into the paperwork. Well, they may not have those thoughts in mind when they create their paperwork. So what I suggest is when you've got our paperwork, you simply have an attorney review that and sign off on it, so to speak, so that you're meeting state and local laws, anything that needs to be altered, adjusted, or added to the paperwork as it relates to any local requirements. That's the only changes I would suggest because uh, if, if they agree that there's a lot of good stuff in there and I've, I can't tell you how many times uh, Jay that I have heard that from other uh, investors and from attorneys, they say, where did you get this stuff? And the answer is the school of hard knocks, <laughs> the school of hard knocks. I've learned some valuable lessons in that process. And certainly once you've got the paperwork that's been honed and refined and used for decades, you've got something of true value. And again, have it run by your local attorney or title company, of, and have them adjust it for anything that's not common in your area or not accepted in your area. Excellent. So we have one last question. We're just running out of time. Um, and make sure, by the way, you join us every Wednesday at one o'clock, one o five Eastern. Uh, we go live in, in Technicolor, same bat channel, same bat uh, <laughs> time. 
And Marianne, you get the honor of the last question. If my house is in a land trust and it's worth 600000 and I pass away, how much inheritance tax does my beneficiaries have to pay? Under current laws, none. Uh, and that's the federal level. It's also subject to state taxes. Now, different states have different rules for what the state charges on and like I said earlier, there could be inheritance tax, there could be a state tax. So depending upon which state you're in, there could actually be a double tax uh, at the state level, but at the federal level under current laws, there is no inheritance tax. Now there would be probate, right? There would be probate. So the good news is if you have your property in trust, as you suggested, then that would avoid probate. That would avoid probate because you've already decided who's going to get it. So therefore you don't need any courts, any judges, any attorneys, any delays you've, or any expense. You've already set up your trust. You've already said who's going to get it. And therefore the operation of probate, the delay, the expense, that's eliminated because you were smart enough to learn about trusts. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of today's, uh, today's show, Lou. Uh, any last words before we sign off? Well, I just say these are great times. These are amazing times. Don't miss the opportunity that is in front of us. I just, uh, I've just marveled at, at so many different things. I had a multi-hour conversation with a real estate agent yesterday, and we were setting up so many different avenues of business together. De definitely get connected with real estate agents. And I put an S on there um, that are in your local market because they are shakers and movers. They are finding things that you don't know about and that other people don't know about. They'll bring those to you first. If you're a shaker and mover and you can close, they want to get both sides of the commission. So I encourage you to, to take an agent to lunch today. You've got one last thing to say, Lou. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> I will.